Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. You know me, it's OPP, and if you don't, I am your gracious and humble anchorman of the Federation, the doctor of Dilithium, and I think I'll need a a little doctor visit after this week's episode of Picard. Oh my gosh. So Vox finally gave us some answers and stopped teasing us as to what's up with Jack, and I mean, we saw, I mean, so many memorable Moments like the freaking big nasty Enterprise D coming back. Fun will now commence. <laughs> I know this is a family show, Luna. I'm just I'm talking about the Enterprise D, ladies and gentlemen. Get, get your mind out of the gutter. That might be the title of the episode. I don't know. Maybe it's a spoiler. Who knows? But I I just love that we're seeing the big fat lady coming back. It's not over until the fat lady sings, and we have Big Bertha herself rolling out of space stock to defeat these young millennial Borg. And I guess is the new term now, don't trust anyone under the age of 30? Okay, I got it. If they get excited about a a deal on pizza, or, you know, they like the shoes for the comfort, I I think you might be dealing with people that are not Borg. I just am kind of surprised. I mean, so now we're stuck in this federation that has every single avocado eating tiktoker in charge in control at the borg has adapted their dna and as you guys know like it's it's something to do with the frontal lobe not being fully developed which i think was a kind of brilliant writing so they instantly can take over the ship and instantly you know have that uh assimilation and i i but i will say this i i think i know exactly how to beat this new Borg. You ready for this? This is top analysis. <laughs> Nothing but the best. So it actually involves starships with manual stick shifts, manual transmissions, uh, writing in cursive, and surprisingly talking and calling on the phone. So there you have it, folks. If we can make the Borg do that, uh, they'll be easily defeated. And I, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just making fun of, you know, those. I, I don't know if they're millennials or Gen Xers or alphas or whatever they're called now. Uh, I am I personally was born with an eight in my date in the 80s. So uh, I, maybe I don't have room to talk, but... <laughs> Logic was impeccable, Captain. We will, of course, cover our review of this episode and bring, you know, just that awesome commentary that we bring every week. And I think this is one of the best episodes of New Trek ever, you know, and we've seen that several times throughout this whole third season. You know, it just keeps getting better, just the heavy hitters, like the bounty. And I mean, I just, I'm really impressed, even though we had kind of two weeks that just weren't great, to be honest with you. Now, on the podcast, on OPP, we want to kind of have the the review like everybody else, but now we want to do... You know, a little bit different. I, I feel like a lot of podcasts, a lot of shows, it's just that regurgitation. And I want to bring you guys a little bit more 
this episode than just, you know, it was awesome and it was great. So first thing, we're going to discuss the loophole that was kind of corrected with the resurrection of the Borg Queen. And I personally, I don't think we're going to actually get any answers on how the Borg survived. I Just my guess, I mean, because episode 10 is already going to be jam-packed like some low-rise jeans. Please, let's not bring those back. Muffin Man! The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man! Get it? Like, because muffin tops? Luna, you're too young for that. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the loophole that was corrected. Second, I want to go over the process on how they actually resurrected that Enterprise D bridge. Because it was pretty much all destroyed. Um, Literally all destroyed. So it was an awesome story, and it looks like they're going to be keeping this bridge around a lot longer. So that's curious, you know, if we're going to get possibly another legacy show or maybe like a traveling set type of thing like they have in New York that we all can pay gobs of money (laughs) to take pictures on. Guilty as charged, I would totally do that. And lastly, but not least, we're going to be breaking down the actual episode of Vox, uh, what we liked, what we didn't like. And I mean, the landing gear is out, baby. We're landing this plane, the... Episode 10 is here. And, you know, I've got full faith of the heart that we're going to love the ending. It's going to be everything we want it to be. However, Luna, let's roll and let's get on to talk about this uh, loophole with the Borg. I mean, it's the Borg. It's always those guys. We knew it was those guys. I mean, we talked about it uh, last week in the past few weeks. It's like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be, you know, the Changelings? Is it Paul Wraith? But it, it just kind of is like that. I don't know. You always knew you are going to come back to it. Kind of like McDonald's. You can drift away, try your Paneras, try your Sweet Greens. But you know you're coming back to those Golden Arches, baby. Because it's comfort. And it gives you exactly what you need. And that's what the Borg are as a villain for Star Trek. It, it's just comfortable. It's it's good. We like it. And that that's what we got. And, I mean, all although the primary villain this season um, had its origins, you know, in Deep Space Nine, it turns out, you know, the Borg were pulling all the strings. But I will say this. The, the return of this specific villain isn't just a t- like a twist just for the sake of it. Instead, it's a very old mystery from 1996 that's finally been solved. Here's what that huge twist from Episode 9 Vox means. Plus, you know, we're going to get us some clarification from Terry Milatis about a very specific floating head or meathead, as we so graciously call him in the Star Trek world. So it turns out John Luc Picard accidentally passed down what Data calls quote-unquote dormant biological Borg adaptations. And although the Prime Universe Borg was kind of mostly defeated by Janeway in the Voyager finale uh, Endgame, it turns out that the original Borg evolved in a new way, which allows assimilation via John Luke's genetic code. And so this entire Changeling plot was specifically designed to slip, you know, Picard's old Borg DNA into every Starfleet transporter and give everybody a piece of Borg in their body, unless you're frontal lobe is already developed so if you can rent a car you're safe (laughs) meanwhile jack inherited a huge chunk of this genetic tech which has turned him to like a unwilling transmitter exactly what the borg queen wanted 
So, I mean, although John Luke was rescued from the Borg Collective in the famous TNG episode, Best of Both Worlds, we later learned that he actually retained the, the ability to hear the Collective in the Star Trek movie First Contact. Just a rehash of that. In that film, Picard was able to sense the Borg and thus gave Starfleet the ability to destroy one specific Borg cube. But at that time, we never knew why he had this superpower. Because John Luke, you know, never faced the Borg again, it's taken this long to actually solve this mystery, why he can hear them. So in Vox, Data and Geordi explained that the genetic alterations that the Borg made to Picard's DNA turned him in kind of a receiver of Borg communication. So while Jack is a transmitter, Picard's the receiver. Anyway, John Luke realizes, you know, the significance of this revelation, saying that it is like, hey, I could... That's why I could still hear them after I was assimilated. And Data adds that Picard's body was a thing that could still hear the voice of the Collective. So the big question in the Star Trek world is, who is the meathead? Who was the floating head? And we never got a direct answer from the show. Although Vadik's handler, you know, he appeared, or it appeared, as a mystery floating face with some fans, you know, I've talked about his meathead, we later learned, you know, this isn't a changeling at all. Although some people might have missed this detail, the floating face was in fact the Borg Queen all along. When directly asked the identity of the floating face that Pat that bossed around Vatic, Picard showrunner Terry Malata said on Twitter, that's the Borg Queen. So the poetry and the clues have all been there. And we just maybe not have realized it. So although Vox, you know, drops a lot of info that seems to change everything about the third season all the clues have been there the changelings have been messing with the transporters you know since episode four and even roe remember all the way back in episode five told picard hey i don't trust the transporters that's why she came on the shuttle and then in episode seven we learned that vatic busted out of the daystrom institution or daystrom station on her own and it was at that point she discovered you know this dormant Borg cube and then in this episode, we learned that the Changelings wanted to weaponize the dormant Borg code, and the Borg Queen was happy for a team-up. I mean, <laughs> we even see the beautiful Beverly Crusher say, clearly the Changelings have been working with the Borgs since the beginning. Of course, you know, Jack goes in front of the Borg Queen, which we'll get into that later. With a st Why did he do that? I don't know. But the Borg Queen clarifies the alliance, saying... The vindication of both our species to take everything back from those who live like shattered glass. I don't know if the shattered glass comment, Luna, was a, a nod to season two, you know, with the the arboretum outside shattering. I don't know if that was something with it. I don't know. Uh, probably not. But to me, this episode makes it clear, you know, the Borg Queen could not have snuck all this genetic code into Starfleet systems without the help of the changelings. And to me, I think the Borg Queen might be in worse shape than we know. You know, we don't even see her face in this episode. And it seems like the ship is badly damaged. And, she, I mean, she was desperate to enough to help enlist the Changeling. So I don't think all our questions are going to be answered. Going to this massive season finale, um, I think the Borg vengeance feels complete to me, personally. Um, but I don't, I don't know. And I mean, there's some other things too, like 
the formation of the fleet at the end of the episode? Is it a kind of language? Was it a sign? Um, and I mean, honestly, it's probably not going to be answered. And you know, that's okay. I'm just going to take my wins, you know, after episode nine because it was so good. Um, at least we got some clarification with Jack. On the Twitterverse, Terry Milatis said that where the Borg cube was wasn't a nebula. So I know when Jack was in the runabout going into the transwarp conduit, where is the Borg cube at? Could it be fluidic space, possibly? Um, and that's where species A427 resided in. And I mean, it kind of looks similar to that, looking at like old Voyager episodes. I don't know if that's what they're trying to make look comparable or interesting that the Borg are hiding there. I'm going to say it's fluidic space. You may kind of think that's way off base, but maybe this is how we get that awesome uh, Janeway cameo, but who knows? <laughs> Let me know what you think about the Borg being the baddies, what you think about maybe this fluidic space hideout or just overall impressions. I'd love to hear from you guys. And moving on from the Borg, we're going to talk about how the Enterprise got her groove back. Seeing the bridge rebuilt and seeing them interact with the displays and take their seats. I mean, talk about, it was just, it's a, this is a love letter to G&G fans. I wanted to cry and poop my pants all at the same time. It just was so good. And it, it's hard to do that with franchises that you love. So let's not take this for granted because as hard as and awesome as Picard Season 3 is, the, a lot of times we get Season 1 and 2. Kind of not really good, kind of like garbage. <laughs> maybe that's a strong word. Uh, Luna, maybe we should cut that. But you know what I'm saying? It's very hard to produce this kind of love of nostalgia and amazing plot development all at the same time and intertwine them. I feel like this is a master class by Terry Milatis. But um, the fact that like they got the social media up and running and all the pictures are out, it's it's kind of like I feel like it's okay for me to, to call the episode the big D and really push, you know, the Enterprise is back. And the funny thing is Milatis was uh, several interviews he said, you know, everyone tried to talk them out of doing this because financially it was a nightmare, apparently, and the timing was extremely tight. So to the moment that they started filming the scene, they were literally gluing pieces together, he says. And he's like, you can't have a TNG reunion without the Enterprise, without one of its major characters. And I completely agree. And, and just for a rehash, if you forgot, so the whole of the Enterprise D was crashed in the Viridian 3. And apparently due to the prime directive, Jordy got it out of there and has been slowly restoring the old flagship himself, which let's not get into the specifics here. I'm just going to enjoy it and love it. You know, one man restoring that starship by himself and how only nine people can run it or 10 people can run it. I don't know, but it's, it's nice to have him back. You know, let's just enjoy it. Call it a win. You know, I would have probably gone for the defiant, you know, it's heavy, heavy, weaponry and maybe even the cloaking device would have helped but that's just me so apparently looking into it a little bit more the construction guidelines for this bridge were like extremely scarce so you have production designer dave blass and art director liz kuklowski kuklowski that that's that is that polish luna you is that your people i don't know anyway 
And I loved how that there was this ongoing rumor, you know, that in a warehouse somewhere they had all this Star Trek stuff. And that's what I would think. Like, it's almost like Indiana Jones. He's pushing the cart down the aisle. And there's like, oh, there's the Borg cube. There's the bridge of the Voyager. There's uh, um, Calto models everywhere that uh, Tuvok played with. But apparently it's not the case. So, so not a lot exists. So what they had to do is they literally had a deep dive, look at every photo ever taken, every screen cap, and they had kind of like put it on a giant wall on the back of the soundstage with photos of every single detail, and they really wanted to kind of flesh it out and think it through, which is great. And so apparently they there were some boxes they went through, and they, I mean, with the original drawings and the art, but large chunks of it were gone. And then, you know, they had to reconstruct it from scratch. And apparently it took three months to the team of about 50 people to completely rebuild the bridge, which was a physical build. So it's not on green screen or in like virtual anything. It is a physical bridge, everything you're seeing. It's exactly measured as the original set, 50 feet wide, 100 feet long. And it came with its challenges. And the funny thing is to me that the biggest challenge wasn't like the the chairs or the carpet or even the displays. It was that curve of the Enterprise. And it, apparently that complex curve, you know, that arches and changes thickness, it's only so much you can kind of get from a blueprint. So they kind of had to put out <laughs> this what uh, Blast said, the art when the art director said that they literally had to print out a full-size paper plan, lay it out, and then use a lot of templates to get the final shape right for the final piece so now that the bridge is constructed uh the the season apparently is super ambitious because they only had two days to shoot on this bridge and Milatis was explaining that it was like freaking start your engines they had to literally get everybody on you know they could maybe have maybe four or five minutes walk around for nostalgia sake and then they had to get going and they had to start shooting and to me it just felt very natural to see them back on the bridge I mean, it was kind of like old times. It was like seeing an old friend in an airport that you didn't expect to see. And, and I love that uh, <laughs> we finally got to see the Enterprise D back in all our glory. And so good news is, is that the set has remained intact, whether that's for possible legacy show, maybe a traveling kind of set we talked about that I would pay gobs of money to be on, who knows, but the fact that it's still intact makes me happy and maybe points to something else, which might be a legacy show, which I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. It really depends on how the finale goes. If they land the finale and it's a sweet ending to this love letter, like I mentioned, then I'll be happy to just go off into the sunset, enjoy our time of season three, and call it quits. But who knows? If it's a terrible ending and it's awful and, you know, Picard and a bunch of people die... I don't I would not be happy about that. But anyway, let's let's get down into the actual review of this and let's get down to business. So after weeks of anticipation, because the last two weeks kind of disappointed, uh, I think this episode is is blatantly a welcome relief. It just the last two weeks were underwhelming, stretched it out, was very thin, wasn't very good in my opinion. I feel like this Vox right from the get-go realized, you know, we only have two episodes left. And so it delivered an amazing hour of television that, again, is not flawless. I'm not saying it's flawless, but it certainly resonated with the heart and the emotion 
that has really elevated Picard. So it went back to what makes this show so great and such a standout is that it brought back the beautiful blending of nostalgia and heart with plot development. And I mean, honestly, from the lap in Dominion and Surrender, they were only really notable for the return of Deanna Troy and Data's multiple personalities battle and the merger. I feel like the sudden rush of plot points and plot developments in episode nine, it was kind of refreshing. I mean, in just one hour, viewers discovered Jack's a Borg and his secret history. They bid farewell to a beloved character in Captain Shaw. And then they confront greatest villains, the Borg, and they're working with Star Trek's greatest villains, part two, the Changeling. So, and then they witness the attack on Frontier Day. We see Captain Shelby eat it, you know, and then we watch our heroes reunite with the Enterprise D. So it was like, ah, like all in one hour, but they did it good. It was refreshing from the slow pace of the last two episodes. And I mean, if to be honest, if this is fan service, you can serve that up forever that's what i'm saying there's so many easter eggs callbacks deep cut references to me it's like yeah definitely tip of the cap but they're also super relevant and you know necessary pieces of who these characters are and who they've become in the last two decades you know since you know tng went off the air and then with the end of the uh, movie series however ending the season and probably picard as a whole with the return of the Borg seems like a natural progression. You know, like we've mentioned a couple other weeks on the review, the Borg have always been there in some way, shape, or form in the first season and the second season. So again, the Borg are back and they represent Picard's biggest enemy, his deepest fear, and kind of bring back all this trauma that has been a consistent theme since he's been assimilated. I think it's really fitting again that you would have confront them one last time but this time with your child's life at stake to me i really didn't care what jack's secret or you know what was behind the red door but what brought me back and whatever i do they keep bringing me back i try to leave that the reveal still carried some pretty significant emotional weight to me and that's because you see the wonderful job by sir patrick stewart in how expressing those fears in his new discovered child. I mean, it's a lot to process. I mean, you have your new child that you always kind of, I secretly wanted to have. He confronts, you know, all these things with his dad and his past. And then the fact that he's not there and he would have been there and wanted to be a great dad. And then all of a sudden now your greatest enemy and your greatest source of trauma has now not only infiltrated your son's DNA, now actively want him and hunt him. So of course he's freaking out. And I mean, it was a lot to process, but oh boy, as a, again, as we saw with the earlier episodes, this theme of fatherhood is coming back in, which I'm happy to see. They kind of left it for a little while. They're bringing it back. And it was again, refreshing to see. However, there was a lot of issues with the episode. Again, it was narratively pretty dicey but the emotional oh my gosh that's like so if you have the perfect steak and then somebody messed up the mashed potatoes that's what i feel about this week's episode and the number one issue i really have with this episode is jack's surrender okay so what does jack have to do with any of this 
if they've already passed their altered DNA to all of the Starfleet youth. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's already in the transporters, what what's Jack have to do with it? And then what exactly was his grand plan besides running straight to the Borg and surrendering immediately? You know, I, I get the sense like, oh, I'm drawn and I got to discover this myself. And it's like, yeah, bro, we had two freaking episodes where we just like pitter pattered around and nobody did anything. So all of a sudden you're going to do that. And then ultimately we it's had this confusing element because we have this Agnes Gerardi storyline that's coming in that you know, was brought into our timeline. It's not an alternate timeline. I mean, I know Terry Melanis has said that, but it's just, to me, it's, we don't see her face. Could it be Girardi? It's just, there's a lot of stupid questions, to be honest. Like, I don't see why they did this. And again, we're not going to get a lot of answers for his surrender. It's just kind of happened and we just have to accept it, which whatever. The other issue I have is, they really shouldn't have stretched this over three episodes. It's unclear why they did. And it's disappointing to imagine, you know, what could have been if the show revealed Jack's true identity a lot earlier. I mean, could you imagine just an extra 30 minutes of Picard dealing with those emotions and the fears and wrestling, you know, for that deeper exploration of those complex emotions by the man? I think that would have been so good could have been better missed opportunity but we'll we'll take it you know it's still great and do you know what like i've said this before this episode i know they're probably not going to answer a lot of these questions and i don't really care i still love the crap out of the show it's been fantastic you can really tell the love and care that have gone into it and primarily because it's you know fully back nostalgia and it's giving the fans what we want from this show we see our loved legacy characters our favorite people working again together sitting around that table going against impossible odds and then on a no literally perfect recreation of the set we saw them in to begin our journeys and i i just love that i mean it's exactly what we wanted but again it's building with plot as well so it's not like nostalgia for nostalgic sake we mentioned before Jordy, is is this a great narrative idea that one man has been using the past 20 years to rebuild a ship and is the best ship for the fight? Probably not, but you know, my heart absolutely grew three sizes when I saw them walking onto the bridge and with just one episode to go, I mean, there's a lot of narrative ground to cover and again, we probably should start expecting, you know, some specific plot questions are not going to get answered in a satisfactory way. But if this season three has taught me anything, it's that this outing still understands what makes the show good. And that's the emotional heart of these characters. And that's what I really need from the season and probably series finale. You know, I want these emotional plot lines to be satisfactorily tied in a bow. If they can give me that, I'll be happy. You know, once and for all, send off maybe a hug or some. I don't know. Like, maybe I know it's perfect. A pan up of them playing poker. If they did that, again, I would cry and crap my pants all at the same time. That's what I want. And I think that's what a lot of you want. And again, if you disagree with me or agree with me, please reach out on social media. We love to hear from you guys. And that has been our review of Vox. 
episode nine. We've got one more to go, ladies and gentlemen. Luna, let's roll. Thank you so much for listening. And next week is it, folks. We're down to the last one. And I personally am debating if I'm going to stay up to 3 a.m. to watch it. <laughs> Just to be honest. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe on all our social media platforms and several podcasting platforms. Let I mean, now that Picard's coming to an end, let us know if there's another series you guys want to review. I think we have some time before summer and we get some more. So if there's another Star Trek classic series you want us to review, please let me know. Maybe a mix of reviews and going back to the old stuff. Happy to do it. Um, and also kind of remember, you know, take some self-care this week. You know, whether that's curling up with a book, watching Picard, or, you know, reading a biography. I personally am reading one on uh, Woodrow Wilson and how America got involved in World War One, and, I mean, whatever's your fancy. Um, it's good to kind of recharge those batteries, guys. And anyway, always remember, second start of the right. Straight on. Till morning.